it was one of the most fabulous professional learning experiences because the high school the high school kids were totally in their element and the teachers we were all like on the floor acting out we did all these kinds of sort of crazy things but it was helping the teachers grow in a particular area that maybe they they weren't as comfortable with ready to hear from other leaders in K12 education you're in the right place Every other week, we bring you a story about innovation and creative problem solving in K-12. It could be from a superintendent, a principal, someone in the business office, or someone in human resources. In every case, our question is, what have you learned? What helps you provide a better environment for your teachers and better education for your students? And what can other leaders take away from this? That question of how do I know the impact of it, that has now become embedded, I think, or it's becoming more embedded in our continuous improvement. How can I know that this will have a positive impact on our teachers, but especially on our students and their learning? From Frontline Education, you're listening to Field Trip. Today, we're speaking with Mary Catherine Moeller at Jenks Public Schools near Tulsa, Oklahoma. They have 10 schools and about 12,000 students. Mary Catherine was in the classroom for 11 years, teaching social studies and art history at Jenks High School. After some time away at grad school, teaching at a university, now she's back at Jenks. It's her third year as the director of professional development. She works with their teaching staff, their teaching and learning specialists, and administrators around the district to facilitate professional learning for every staff member, both certified and classified. We wanted to find out how they provide professional learning that has real impact in the classroom. Well, Mary Catherine, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. I'd like to start with a somewhat broad question. You're working in your role to develop student-focused, sustainable professional learning. How do you do that? What do you find works well at Jenks for you and for your team? We almost always start when we're when we're looking at really trying to be very intentional about our professional learning. We start with what is our basis of need? What's been the identified need that's come up or what's the point of interest? Is there emerging research that we're that you know that we're trying to stay abreast of? So that's always kind of our starting point. Um, and, and that basis of need might also be looking at um, student data. It might be looking at, you know, work samples. It might be looking at test scores. Let me pause here for a minute. This is something you'll hear Mary Catherine come back to again and again, the basis of need. They don't see professional learning as a check off the boxes kind of thing. It always starts with why. What do we want to see happen in our classrooms? Typically, we provide some kind of professional learning opportunity that might involve bringing in an outside voice um, to provide something that we feel like we need. And then from there, we collect some some feedback, some immediate feedback. And that might be kind of a, a perception survey. How'd you feel about this? What'd you learn from it? What'd you get out, get out of it? It might also be kind of when we say immediate, it might be more you know, what's more the immediate impact that we've seen uh, in the classroom from this. And then that usually leads us to some next steps. And so from there, we tend to stay in kind of a cycle of, okay, let's identify some next steps. Okay, those next steps tend to lead to more professional learning opportunities. Again, they might be outside speakers, but it might be some coaching. It might be a book study. It might be a PLC. I mean, it, it could be a variety of things. 
And then one of the data points that we tend to look at is we look at implementation. So we look at fidelity of implementation, which is always a, a question, always making sure that we're, we're talking about equitable distribution of, of the information and of, of the support that teachers need to, to implement. And so we tend to stay in that loop. Next steps, more learning, implementation, data points, next steps, professional learning, implementation, data. And we will stay often in iterations of that cycle. We will stay there until we feel like we've been driven back up to the top of, okay, what's our next basis of need? What's our next point of interest? What's our next uh, look at, at emerging research? There's a lot of things out there in education and there's a lot of products out there. And so when we are evaluating those things, we can take them through kind of, well, where are we in this particular practice? Well, we, we're in an iteration and we just need more time to really let our teachers practice with this and reflect on it. We need to gather some more data. Let's do that before we maybe really go after something new. Let's spend some time on it um, because our teachers are very busy and they, they're pulled in lots of directions and we, we want to be really intentional before we introduce something new or, or ask them to, to make a shift or a change. Mary Catherine said a really important part of their work is building connections with district and site-level leaders and teacher leaders all over the organization. I asked her, what do those connections look like and, and how do you build them? A lot of times it's, it's in conversations with um, our teaching and learning specialists that we have at our different sites. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're at the sites and working directly with the teachers. And so we've had something recently come up where we have... Uh, a, t- a teacher at one site who's very re- well versed in a particular practice, and um, she's been very open to let a number of us come into her classroom and see the practice in action. And there was so much um, excitement about this, and we were seeing that really forward forwarded student um, student thinking. It really helped them think through uh, different different processes, but also you know sort of think about their own thinking. So we were really excited about that, and then from those opportunities to come into her classroom and see what's going on there, that has then led to discussions at another site at totally at a totally different grade level about using a similar kind of practice. And then I just recently learned that from that, uh, from from those discussions at at that site level, we are now creating connections over to another site at a completely different grade level. And so a lot of it is this ongoing uh, ongoing communication and this opportunity really considering our teachers' professional experience and what kind of expertise they have and providing opportunities that they can share that expertise at different grade levels. If there's excitement around something, we really want to capture it, provide the leadership. We may need to also provide some resources. We might need to provide some, some t- release time for the teachers. Or, or maybe sub coverage. So we may need to put some resource behind it so that we can sustain these connections among colleagues so that they can really grow from one another. I love what you're saying about, about leadership. How do you build that? What are some of the specific ways in which you at Jenks are, are building leadership uh, in, in your staff, whether it be teacher leaders or whether, whether it be uh, encouraging and empowering your district and site level leaders? What are the things that you find builds leadership well? Some of it starts really just um, with kind of all of us understanding. Um, we work really hard to make sure we have common language. So it's, a lot of it starts from from the minute that you come into Jinx, we we try to build 
at all levels, we try to build a lot of common language. And so that's one of the ways so that we can so that we can all talk about what we're excited about, and what we feel like needs to improve or what we feel like, you know, needs to change. And then we work very hard to stay connected from the district level to the site level. We work really hard to stay connected. So our um, executive director of teaching and learning, along with um, other directors in our teaching and learning department, we meet regularly with our teaching and learning specialists. Um, and then almost all of our sites have site leadership um, groups that they really bring in different voices of their staff and they bring them in to help make site decisions. It's a lot of it's a lot of community building. It's a lot of communication, trying to be very, very clear with our our communication and really helping teachers build agency and build capacity for trying new things out, taking maybe some risks in in their instruction. They heard about something, they want to give it a try and providing them the support to give that a try and then also inviting them to share that out. So letting them have opportunities for for that kind of voice um, is is a lot of the ways that we we try to build leadership. As you are thinking about what new things to try or what risks to take, uh, as you look at professional learning at Jenks and try to determine the direction you should go, what are the questions that you and your team are asking? One of our immediate questions, if, if something's new, a lot of our question would be about the why of it. If we're going to consider something new, you know, we really want to understand the purpose about it. And then we really want to examine our existing practices. Is this something that will expand our practices that might open up new opportunities for connections for our students? Is it is it something that will just layer on kind of deepen our existing our existing practices and structures, or is it something that would require us to kind of abandon what we've done? You know, those those are the kinds of things you have to weigh a lot of times. So we we always want to be faithful to the work that our teachers are doing and the work that it, that exists. That's one of the major things we look at is really honoring the existing work before we before we adopt something. We also really look at the source of it. If, if we feel like that, it, yes, it does really honor the work that we have been doing and the, that it would provide a deepening of that or a, a growing of that in some way, then where is where is this coming from? Is this a speaker, a researcher, someone who is in the work and doing it, someone who's really out there um, speaking and sharing with teachers? Is it someone that, that really understands the, the many things that go on in a classroom? So where's the, the source of, of this information that's being provided? And then as we, you know, as I talked about our cycle, if we did bring something like that in, we would talk about fidelity of implementation and equity. We would talk about teacher's comfort level with a particular practice. How can we collect data around this? What would be the data points we would need? So those are kinds of things we try to think about um, when we're considering going in a new direction or bringing something in. Um, but we always want to honor the work that's been done by our teachers and by our administrators in leading up to this moment. I was curious about this loop, this cycle of improvement and of learning and implementation and examining the results. Because, of course, a culture of continuous improvement like this doesn't just happen. I asked Mary Catherine about the things that help them build that culture. She said she went back and spoke with some of their administrators who had been at Jenks a bit longer than she had, and that it really began with creating a district motto. 
So our district motto is a tradition of excellence with a vision for tomorrow. The the PDSA model that we adopted in the early 2000s was our way of trying to make that model a livable part of the work that we the work that we do. So one of the things that that happens in our new teacher induction is that we uh, invite all of our certified staff to what we call our continuous improvement model training. And they really kind of go through this history. They, they talk really through the history of the district and how our vision and our understanding of, of what we do, how it, um, how it really developed over the years and talks about how, you know, you as, so you're a new teacher coming into our district. How, how does this work for you? Well, you know, you develop this really solid understanding of your students and what their needs are. And then you continue to kind of push for tomorrow. You know, what's what's your next nudge? How can you nudge that student forward a little bit? How can you continue to grow them? So at the classroom level, at the district level, we have this understanding of we really want to understand our past and we really want to understand our present. And then we always want to push ahead. We talk a lot in the district about continuous improvement. We always try to challenge ourselves. So we, we always, we, whatever we do something, especially when it's new, we immediately begin to go into, okay, how did that go? What could we do better? What do we, you know, where, where do we need to change? It's just a part of a lot of the work that we do. We always want to consider how we, how we can continually improve in service of our students and our other stakeholders in our community. Can you share any specific examples, Mary Catherine, of, of how this has played out at the individual level? So we had um, a, a particular instance where we had a, a, a site uh, on a particular grade level. Our pre-K teachers really interested in growing dramatic play in the classroom. There's, there's so much research we know now about how um, in early childhood, play is such an essential part of their learning. And so, again, thinking about our, our impact cycle, our basis of need and our, our point of interest, those kinds of things, it was a group of, a group of teachers and an administrator really interested in exploring sort of a, a particular research strand, which, which would be understanding how play how that figures into the pre-K learning experience. And so at a particular site, they had begun exploring this. And then we had, we had other sites who were interested in learning this as well. And so they had done some, they had done some of their, their own work, some of their own research, and we created a, a professional learning opportunity for them to really learn about puppetry and um, the expansion of the dramatic play center. So in a lot of pre-K classes, you might have, you know, the play center, like the play kitchen, that, that, that kind of center. And, and those are wonderful. Those are really wonderful opportunities for children to play. But in this case, what we were interested in was, you know, how can we expand that? How can we expand that maybe beyond the dress up box and beyond the play kitchen? What, what can we do a little bit further? So we invited in a, a, a master teaching artist and she worked with four of our pre-K teachers at two different sites she she worked directly in their classroom and we wove it in at the time when they were exploring some different things around science and they were looking at um, ecosystems. She brought in the puppetry 
as a way to kind of explore, you know, um, I think specifically they worked on a pond. So what what are all the animals that live on and around in a pond and how do they interact and how how are their interactions beneficial to one another and how does the pond survive with these, this kind of interaction? And so the we had this master teaching artist come in and and do that. And then for and then the dramatic play center became an opportunity for the children they were really invited into, okay, what could we, what kind of play center could we create? What it created was this opportunity for the children to direct the play center a little bit. As the teachers incorporated this dramatic play, the kids dove into it, took ownership of it. If they're learning about veterinarians, one student might pull out a stethoscope while another draws a picture of a dog that they'll check out. And this group of teachers really took their role in it seriously. Since puppetry is a big part of this learning, they realized that one of the steps they needed to take was to get better at really pulling off characters, getting into the performance aspect of it. So what we did was we went to our Trojan players who are our drama students at the high school and said, can you work with teachers and help them develop performance skills through like gesture and motion and voice? So then we partnered pre-K and K teachers with our high school students. And it was one of the most fun, it was one of the most fabulous professional learning experiences because the high school, the high school kids were totally in their element. And the teachers, we were all like on the floor playing things, acting out. You know, I played the part of a fish. And I mean, we did all these kinds of sort of crazy things, but it was helping the teachers grow in a particular area that maybe they, they weren't as comfortable with and the idea of kind of the performance of it. So that was kind of a, how we identified a next step. And then we've done more book studies. We've, um, we've had more works with more work with the Trojan players. And so this, this focus on dramatic play, we've tried to connect it to how, well, how can you weave dramatic play into your read alouds with your kids and, and weave it into your literacy block and, how can we bring music into this and, and work on, you know, music and weave that into storytelling? So really going at this in a lot of ways. So I would tell you, you know, if, if, if we were talking about our impact cycle, I would tell you that right now we're just kind of in our little cycle of we're going to keep doing a little bit more and we're going to keep growing it and we're going to keep doing a little bit more. But it's really fascinating to see and see how the kids are doing this. And it, and it really fits with what the research is about about play, the importance of play in early childhood. And, and we're continuing to think about how we can co- collect some data on this. After the master teaching artist left, we had the students, they could use text or, or, or draw, whatever, whatever they're, you know, wherever they kind of were comfortable with. And they wrote down kind of what their favorite piece of learning was. And I, those, I got to tell you, are like some of the most dear, just precious little drawings that I've seen of what they like to learn. Again, to, in terms of collecting data, that's a data point for, you know, pre-K because it's, it's the thing, what is the thing that you love that stuck out to you from that experience? So that's been one of our data points. Um, we, we will continue to identify um, other ways that we can collect data about the impact of this um, in the classroom and, and on our students' learning. I also asked Mary Catherine about what it looks like as they create a culture that promotes positive risk-taking. How else has it taken shape as they encourage teachers to try new ideas? So we had an interesting um, instance where one of our teaching and learning specialists was going to work with a group of teachers, and she was going to focus on this specific idea. She wanted to 
really encourage some risk-taking in their instruction. And the goal was for them to become kind of risk-takers and then find ways that they could encourage their students to be risk-takers in their learning hmm. um, and really kind of push push out of their comfort zone. So where the teachers are going out of their comfort zone and the students might be going out of their comfort zone. So the teachers had some discussion about what that might look like and what uh, vehicle they would want to identify to help them do this. And they decided to explore the 20% time or sometimes called the genius hour, which is something that developed in Google, in the, in the work environment in Google, in which employees were able to spend about 20% of their time on a project of their own choosing, which is how products like Gmail developed. And so this was really out of the box, I think, for these teachers, because this is this involves a, a different shift in the way that you organize your classroom, in the way that you uh, sort of have to hand over time to the students and how you facilitate and sort of coach them through their own exploration. And so this went on for a good portion of a semester. And the teachers would come, you know, it's a PLC model. So they would come back together and sort of talk about how this is being rolled out in their classrooms, maybe what challenges they're experiencing, you know, how best they can really guide their students and how they can kind of set this up. And then ultimately it led to the idea of going public with the projects that the students developed. And, and when I talked to the teaching and learning specialist, I said, can you tell me if you, you know, tell me some of your really favorite projects that you saw and, you know, she had the hardest time. She was like, I've, I've got so many. But a couple of them really stuck with her. And so she had, so there was a student in a class who developed a weighted scarf for individuals who have sensory issues. And so it's a scarf that has weights that you can, that you can put inside of it. And it just gives a little bit of compression, a little bit of uh, that sense of security that a lot of those dealing with sensory issues feel like they need. And she was really intentional in the design. The scarf had, it was made out of fleece and it had tassels at the end. So it also gave them something to kind of fidget with and play with, which off, you know, often helps a lot of uh, students, a lot of learners. And then the, the weights were removable. So you could actually wash the whole thing and then put it back in. So it was this really fascinating design. Another project was a student really wanting to explore spoken word. And so she created an entire album of of spoken word that she, you know, projects that she had developed herself. And then she designed her, designed her own cover, did her own art for the cover of the album. So these were, these were students that were really um, exploring things that they had interest in that, that really pushed them to kind of go far in, in their learning around it, in their research around it, and in the design and in the, the presentation of it. And then it also really encouraged the teachers to Take some, take some challenges with the way they set up the room and the way they conducted things and the way they encouraged exploration. And you would say that these, these projects came out of the fact that teachers were intentionally taking risks in their own instructional practice. Absolutely. That was really the focus of it was how can we encourage teachers to, um, to step out of their comfort zone, try something different. This is not a, this is not a model that you see in most classrooms. And it's, and it can be difficult to sort of carry off because you may have to rethink your classroom management. You might need to rethink the, the physical space, the way you set up your classroom. It's going to, you know, challenge you to juggle all the things that you have to juggle in, in making instructional decisions. But it, it, it really allowed 
the teachers to try something different and have a have a safe cohort where they could come back and talk through what was working or what what they needed some more think time on um, so that they could really encourage their students to make these projects that in the end, everybody was just absolutely blown away by. As we talk about taking risks and learning from mistakes and pursuing success, and can you talk about how you iterate in professional learning? And, and when you see success in something, how do you continue to refine it? I think we have a strong practice around reflection. And I think that that is, is our baseline from figuring out where we need to go next is always collecting uh, data or, or feedback from lots of different voices, trying to hear from everybody that this might impact. In May, we tend to do a um, kind of a visioning meeting around professional development, professional learning for the, next, for the next year. And we always try to incorporate, we always invite parents into that as well, which might seem odd because we, they, they might not think to, that we would you know, include them in discussions around teacher professional development. But in hmm. fact, Having the parents as part of that conversation, I think, is really, really valuable. You know, they see they know what's going on in the classroom and they work with their with their own child. And so as we're thinking about, well, in the in the end, we're all working together for the benefit of the students. So the parents then are an essential part of that. We tend to always try to incorporate as many voices as we can that we feel like would bring something to to a discussion and and reflect and be very intentional about where we go next. And then there's the perennial question in professional learning. How do you know that it's making an impact? I wanted to know about the data that Mary Catherine and her team look at, how they collect it, and how it impacts their program. Well, that's, you know, that, that's this, uh, such a grand question about, you know, how, how do we know that this, that this works? We, we know that when we collect data, it's got to come from multiple uh, you know, multiple sources and probably and come in different ways. And it, and from the minute you have a professional lo- learning opportunity to a year after, there there needs to be data collected. You know, along that timeline, we have surveys that go out to employees, that go out to parents, that go out to students. We do these big district surveys um, each year, but then we also you know we'll survey. So one of the surveys I did uh, earlier this fall was surveying our new teachers about their new teacher training that they did in you know in August. We we use surveying tools quite a bit, but we know that it's just one particular data point. We do we do look at standardized tests. We know that that has a role to play. It's not the end all be all, but we know that it, it has a a role to play in our in our data points. In a lot of ways, we've we've recently been trying to gather. This is an odd, maybe an odd data point, but we've been recently trying to gather um, something I learned from from a training that I was involved in with a uh, university here in Oklahoma, looking at empathy research, asking questions about how people feel. So if I said professional, when I say Ryan, professional development, what are some of the things you hear, feel, think, and see? And that, that's an odd sort of data point because it's not terribly formal. But when you ask that question and you ask the, you know, you ask the questions in the right way, it's very personal to people. So you get some, some real um, personal responses in a way that you might not get on a more formal type of survey. So we've been trying to use the empathy research to really help kind of understand how people feel about things. Um, and we've been using it in, in a variety of different settings. But learning is such a personal experience. And so um, sometimes a more formal um, surveying tool 
doesn't always capture kind of how you feel about something. So as part of our continuous improvement, we're always coming back to how can we collect more data around this? And, and how can we then look at the long-term impact? Um, we, we do a lot of observations. We will take you know, board members and parents and a variety of stakeholders, we'll take them in the classroom, into the classroom so that they can see it. So we're gathering some data through, through those kinds of observations, trying to be really creative with the way that we approach data um, because it, it is kind of an overwhelming piece. You, you spoke earlier about the importance of reflection. As we near the end of our interview, um, I, I'd like you to do a little bit of the same thing. Most of our conversation today has centered around teacher learning and how to provide the best instruction. But I want to ask you, in, in your role, what have you learned? Oh, wow. Um, there's so many things. I really, really value the systems approach that we take here in Jinx. You know, when when you hear about a need and we talk to teachers or we talk to students or we talk to administrators and we, we identify, you know, this is something we really need to, to grow in. I, I really have learned the value of, okay, let's take that and let's think on it. Let's get some, let's get maybe some empathy research. Let's, let's ask, let's try to collect some data. Let's really go about it in a systems approach so that when we decide how we provide the support for the teachers and how we provide the support for the students, we we feel really confident in the in the direction. So I really value um, the the systems approach, and that's I've learned that a lot from coming into this role. I guess I've learned more than anything the the value of being really intentional about the support that we that we provide and the and the ways that we determine, you know, when we want to grow and how we want to grow. I've also really learned just the, the outstanding things that are going on in our classrooms. Um, when I, you know, I taught at one particular site, so I, I didn't know everything that was going on in all the different sites and the different grade levels. And so I, more and more, I go into classrooms um, or visit with people and I'm just really blown away by the way they're being really intentional and by, by their hard work and, and all the ways that they're working to help their students. It's very humbling. I'm, I'm very um, proud and, and privileged, I feel, to to work with such a great group of people. If you could go back and talk to the younger you, you, right after you took this role, what would be one thing you would say, I've got to tell myself that? I would say, go into, go into as many classrooms as you can, ask to go into those classrooms, but, uh, you know, go see what's going on in classrooms and look for, look for ways that, that you can partner with teachers, with administrators. I did a lot of things in my first year that I, I, I really tried to just really listen as, as best I could and, and take in what they were saying and take in what they would need, what they needed bef- before I injected, you know, a sense of, okay, guys, here's, we're going to go in this direction. Those are, those are still things that I want to continue to do. Um, building partnerships across our, across our sites, across our classrooms and across our community. Mary Catherine Moeller is Director of Professional Development for Jenks Public Schools in Oklahoma. Mary Catherine, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. If you want more stories like this, be sure to subscribe to Field Trip. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere else podcasts are found. We release new episodes every two weeks. And by subscribing, 
you can be sure you won't miss a single one. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening and have a great day.